If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to be in verses 10 through 18 today. And I'm excited for all of y'all here today. This has been a great passage as we've been going through the book of 1 John. It is an amazing, amazing book. So we're going to begin in verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not... Love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray one more time. God, we, again, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for this passage and for this time studying it. God, I pray as we go forth, Lord, that this passage would cause us to grow in Christ Jesus. That we would turn away from our sins we would turn away from our selfishness, our lack of love, and that, God, we would turn to Christ and that we would experience him in his fullness as we share our love with others. God, be with us now. Send your spirit here to guide and direct us in your truth that we would see the marks of what a true child of God is. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So like I said, as we've been going through the book of 1 John, one of the things that I absolutely love about this book, and in this, has, this book has changed my life in my Christian journey, is that it's constantly bringing assurance of salvation. So that, you, that way you can know that you know that you know that you have a relationship with God, that you are truly saved. It's answering the question of how do I know that I'm a Christian? So this is like the purpose that John is writing this book. Because during John's time, there was this false belief that was kind of popping up inside the church uh, that was questioning and minimizing the belief in Jesus Christ. They were minimizing the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that false religion that kind of developed was called Gnosticism. Again, which just minimized God and his deity and his son, Jesus Christ. And what they said was that, well, 
well, God, he's, he's not really that big of a God. So Jesus wasn't really God in the flesh. He was just his emissary. And so in order to obtain salvation, you had to, quote, have a special knowledge. You had to have some special enlightenment, which didn't depend upon the truth that man was sinful and man needed to repent of his sin, but it depended, it's like the ball was in your court. You just had to come up with this enlightenment uh, and this knowledge, so to speak. Now, I want you to put yourself in that situation just for a second. Because our society is not that much different today, is it? Even with all of our scientific knowledge and technological age that's just progressing and progressing, I mean, we can jump on the internet and we can answer any question we want. You can have all the knowledge you desire. And if you don't know it or where to get it, you just get on the AI and ask ChatGPT and like a Ouija board, it pops out the answer. Okay? Um, kind of scary. I say all this because regardless of all of our technology, we still live in a world where we depend upon our own enlightenment. We depend upon our own knowledge instead of God's word. Like Adam, our brother, mentioned a couple weeks ago, this is always, always, always influencing the church today. For example, listen to this study. I love studies. I love research. It came from the uh, Research Center of Arizona Christian University. And out of the people they polled, that 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians. 65%. Right now you're probably going, yeah, great. Hang on. But a little over half, 54%. Believe they will experience heaven after they die. It went from 65 to 54%. And out of that 54%, the, uh, the people that they, I mean, out of those people that they polled, only 33% believe that they will go to heaven solely on confessing their sins and embracing Jesus as their Savior. 33%. Out of the, what happened to the 65? So what that tells us is that out of the 30, only 33% of people describe themselves as Christians that believe they will go to heaven simply because they confess their sins, they acknowledge that they are sinners, and they embrace and hold only to Jesus Christ and Him alone. Only 33%. So the point is that people who think they are saved what it really bottoms out, they don't know that they know if they are truly saved. That's the fact. And see, and John plays on this, you know, he, because he wants us to know today that you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you can know that you have a relationship. You can even experience Jesus daily from the, today's lesson. You see, most, if not all, 
we don't have to depend on just having the, the feeling, right? Well, I don't feel like I'm saved. We don't have to have that subjective finding. We can have something objective, and that's exactly what John is addressing. You see, John plays off this word, no, which means uh, it's Gnostic in the Greek, or it's, uh, it's uh, Gnosis in the Greek. You see, he plays off this word Gnosis, which they get the word Gnostic, and he uses another word, oida, which we'll talk about here in just a second. But he uses it for that word, no. You can know four times in this passage from verses 11 through 24. And what he's showing is he's directly going against these people who are saying, well, we can't really know that we know. And so he is just punching them right in the face and saying, no, we can't. We can know. And so that's what he's addressing today. So today, when we look at how we are to know that we are children of God, John gives us the marks of what a true child of God looks like. And by these marks, we know, we know that we are children of God. You see, the first mark we're going to see is the righteousness in our lifestyle. This righteousness is not just involved in, an, in avoiding what is wrong, but it's actively doing what is right according to God's word. The second thing we're going to see as a mark of a true child of God is love. Christians are to love not as Satan loves. John uses a contradiction here. But we are to love as God loves, which is going to manifest itself in a love for people. And lastly, we're going to see that the marks of a true child of God will manifest themselves sacrificially. We will sacrifice ourselves to love others. So number one, the mark of a true child of God is going to manifest righteousness. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. You see, as we look at what a true child of God looks like, we have to go back to verse 10 because basically from this verse, we only see there are only two types of families in the world. Only two. There are the children of God and then there are the children of the devil. There's no middle ground. You need to understand that there's no middle ground. You're either part of one family or the other. You see, a lot of people think they just take this position. Well, you know, it, it looks like when I look at, you know, God and the devil, that there's these two cosmic powers that are fighting against each other. And, and I just I don't want to get involved in that. So I'm just going to kind of step back a little bit and I'm not going to play a part. And I'm sorry to say, when I read the, God's word, that's not what he says. You don't get to step back. You're either part of one family or the other. There's no middle ground. There's those who practice righteousness and those who do not practice righteousness. That's it. That's it. We don't get to take the middle ground. You're either in one or the other. 
So when we look at this, we have to ask then, what is righteousness? If we're going to see which part of the family we belong to. And once we answer that, we can say what righteousness actually looks like, which leads us into verse 11, basically through the end of chapter of the chapter, verse 24. So what is righteousness? You see, this word righteousness is what drove Paul. This was his motivation, was righteousness. The kaiosune. And what it means, it's a standard of determining the conformity to God's justice, law, and morality, which is revealed by God. In the simple definition, it's the quality of being marked upright and following God's commands. It's being marked as right before God. And now because you've been marked as right, now you live a life of righteousness, which follow God's commands. That's what righteousness means. You see, we have to understand this because a lot of people think that righteousness is, is just abstaining from sin, right? See, a lot of Christian teaching is that righteousness actually goes beyond just abstinence from sin and sinful actions. It's not just enough to say, hey, I'm not going to commit that sin but we have to actually have the mindset that we're going to actually pursue behaviors, decisions, deeds, and works that align ourselves with God's character. That's righteousness. It's the active pursuit of God. That is what righteousness is. It's looking to the Bible, seeing who God is in his fullness, in his deity, as he has revealed himself according to his word. And it's now seeing God and aligning myself with God and how he has revealed himself in his word. It's not enough just to avoid what harms us or harms our performance. That's not enough. That's not the pursuit of righteousness or the pursuit of God. For example, I like to work out. I like to stay in shape because I, I, I have a very physical job. However, I have to admit, I have a strong temptation to chips and queso. Okay? That's an admission right here. Which is really unfortunate, okay? I was talking to my wife about these, this example, and I got dressed this morning. I'm like, man, my pants are kind of tight. You know, she's like, ah, oh, might be that chips and queso. <laughs> it's unfortunate, really, because it really dampens our performance and our results, unfortunately. And unfortunately, there's, there's been a time that I, I was really hungry, and I thought, oh, I'm going to work out here in just a second. I'm going to just eat this chips and queso. It was actually last week when we went to La Finca um, <laughs> with Jodan and Micah. Put a hurt on that chips and queso. I didn't work out that day. <laughs> but just like training, it's not about what just harms us. But it's also about engaging in practices like regular training and proper nutrition that enhance our ability to work out. 
And in a like manner, as Christians, we have to be doing the same thing. Our righteousness involves actively engaging in practices that enhance our walk with Jesus Christ. Amen? Like reading our Bible daily, daily, praying daily. Like, why do we want to be separated from God for an instant in our life here when one day we will be with him forever? We have to engage with him. We, and we, and the reason why is because we have to believe what is right. Because we're going to see Satan's always knocking at the door, trying to turn you away, lead you into some false belief, lead you down and hampen your walk with Jesus Christ. You see, righteousness embodies God's virtues. That's why we have to do it. You see, once we see how we have been saved and adopted into God's family, then we are now to, to embody God's virtues as his children so we can give him glory in all that we do. We can seek him out because what he has bestowed upon us. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin. He put Christ in your place. For our sake, your sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see that? What it took to adopt you and call you a child of God? It took Jesus Christ, the righteous, the only righteous one, to die in your place. So you might, he might pay the penalty for your sin so that you might be called a child of God, so that you might be called righteous before God. That's what it took. You see, not only is our now righteous a legal standing because we've been adopted through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. But now, it's a way of living. Do you see that? It's a way of living that reflects who we are. Who are you? Answer me that. Are you a child of God? Or are you a child of the devil? How you live your life is going to reflect who you are. What is your identity? You see, the way we live reflects who we are. It reflects our character. It reflects everything we believe about God. And it's because of our legal standing and our transformation that God has done in us that we are now born again. We have a new nature. And it's to be manifested with our outward behavior. That is why John goes on to finish verse 10, which says, anyone who does not love his brother is not of God. You see, he puts it in the negative. That we are to love, but those who do not love his brother are not of God. Why does he say it like this? Why does he just say, hey, love your brother again? Because John is showing his reader 
that those who were teaching others to live for themselves and try to just live however you want to, just get what you get, get what you desire, you don't have to love others. You can love yourself. As long as you're spiritually enlightened. You see, this is what John is addressing. He's addressing the false religion inside the church. This is what Gnosticism taught. As long as you were spiritually enlightened, then it didn't matter how you lived. As long as you had the special revelation. Unfortunately, there's people in the church today that are teaching the same thing. As long as you have come down front and say a prayer, you can go live however you want to. As long as you've been baptized, you can live however you want to. Have you spoken in tongues? Oh, you've been spiritually enlightened. Live how you want to. Others are saying, if, you, if you've been enlightened, then just ask God for whatever you want. He'll give it to you. He'll give you your heart's desire. You see, there's people that are promising what God can give them. They're just not promising God. They can show what I, all, all the gifts of God. They just don't give the greatest gift, the gospel of God. You see, when we look at these people, they're, they're moving the mark. They're moving it off of God on what they can get or how they can live. Both are promising a selfish lifestyle. They're moving the target, and we have to put it back so people can know that they are Christians. That is what John is doing here. He's putting the mark back to the Messiah. He's putting the crosshairs back on Christ. And he's saying, if you are a child of God, you will have a desire for righteousness. And that righteousness is to love because God is love. You see, the world says that love is God and they switch it around and they try to confuse it. But we can't put the cart before the horse God is love, and he's revealed what true love is. And if you are of God and you want to live righteously, then hear me. You're going to have a desire to love. That's the second mark of a true child of God, is that you're going to manifest godly love. Verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. John's readers knew the truth because the apostles had delivered it. They preached it. What we believe to where he was writing to was Ephesus. And this is the fourth time that John has said this in his message, which you have heard from the beginning. He's mentioned it in one verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. He's also mentioned in chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. As he's explained it, what you have heard is not a new commandment, but an old commandment. But yet it's new at the same time because it manifested itself in Jesus Christ that we should love and not hate. And then he goes on in verse 9 in chapter 2. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, you are actually lying and you're in darkness. He even says this again in chapter 2, verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. 
What he's saying here is let the gospel truth remain in you. Do not deviate to a false gospel. Because he goes on, what, if what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So whatever, this gospel, if it's abiding in you, then you're going to abide in the Son and in the Father. They knew this message. They've heard it. And now John is going even farther in it. And see, this is what John does, really. He, he makes a statement. He kind of gives a, a short excerpt. And then later on in his book, he's going to make kind of another statement of the same magnitude. And then he's going to go even deeper. It's kind of like this spiral that John does. And he starts out from this, as he's saying, what you've heard from the beginning. He, he gives him that um, this statement. If you've been born again, he says you're going to manifest salvation in how you love. You see, what he's saying here is it's not just what you love, but it's actually how you love. And this love, he goes on to say, it's not a matter of just light and darkness now. Okay? As he mentioned earlier, now this love is a matter of life and death to you. And the question we have to ask is how are we to love? What should our love look like? And it's interesting here because as we look at the rest of the scripture, John puts it in a negative again. And he tells us two negatives, what Christian love should not be. It should not be murderous and it should not be hateful. Okay, so it should not be murderous. Verse 12, he says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. He tells us right off the bat, we should not be like Cain. We should not love like Cain. So he brings up the story of Cain, which is an, an ultimate example of a life of hatred. And we see Cain's story in Genesis 4, Verses 1 through 16. I'm not going to read it, okay? You can go back and read it, but I'm going to sum it up. You see, the story is about Cain and his brother Abel. And if you remember that Cain and his brother Abel had the same parents, and they were both brothers, and during this time, they both brought sacrifices to God. And during this time, when they brought their offering to the Lord, Cain brought the fruit of the ground... And Abel brought the firstborn of the flock and the fat portions that went along with it. But God had regards for Abel's offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard for. So he became angry, like you know. And as they're out in the field, the story goes on, Cain murdered his brother Abel. So when we look at this, we have to understand that this basically is the lowest form of relationship that could possibly be in society. Murder. Even of the worst kind, he murdered his family. So we have to ask, why would John use this as an example of how we are to love? And as I've studied this, and I seriously think John might have been a genius, um, because John is writing to the church with 
which has a false belief and a false living that is starting to thrive. And he tells us, first of all, we cannot love like Christ when we are following Satan, the father of lies and murder. We should not be like Cain because he followed his father, the devil. He was evil and he followed the evil one. Cain was evil and he followed Satan. And John uses this a play on words from here for Cain's actions were evil and he followed the evil one. This word is poneros, which <coughs> that word we see again as he says the evil one. And this shows a determined aggression and fervent evil that actively opposes what is good. It, be, it goes beyond what is evil or corrupt, which is kakos. And, and in this actually includes a malignant sinfulness that is meant to try to pull someone down and ruin them. That's why John says that he murdered him. He slew him is the actual Greek word. He's phazo. He slewed him. It means that he butchered and slaughtered him. Like they used to do with animals to be killed when they were uh, butchering them for sacrifices. That's what he did to Abel. So when God came to Cain, he asked, where's your brother? In verse 9 of chapter 4. And what did Cain say? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know, God. You know. It's mocking God. Cain murdered his brother, and then he lied to God. You see, John says this another way in John chapter 8, as he's referencing the Jews who followed Jesus, that had believed in Jesus. And when Jesus addressed them and he told him the truth, told them the truth, that if you believe in me, then you will be set free. What did they do when Jesus presented them with that truth? They said, set free. We're children of Abraham. We've never been in bondage. I mean, even though Rome is over them, you know, we've never been in bondage. We're children of Abraham. We've been enslaved to no one. How can you say this, Jesus? And then Jesus goes on to tell them that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Well, they argued with that. And then they wanted to kill him. And then what does Jesus tell them? And here, this is where the rubber met the road in John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. You see, the point with Cain and the point with the Jews that Jesus is addressing is this. Everybody has a spiritual lineage. Everybody has a master that they're going to do their desire. It goes on, you can only serve one master. And the question for you today, is Jesus your master? Is Jesus your king? Do you follow Jesus in righteousness? 
Do you see that the love that Jesus has poured out so that you would trust and follow him so that you may be set free? And if Jesus sets you free from sin and death, then you can take it to the bank. You are free indeed. You see, the second thing we see here is you cannot fake it till you make it. Cain's love was superficial because it lacked faith. You cannot fake faith. Hear me. You see, when we look at this story that Cain, of Cain, Cain wasn't presented as an atheist, guys. He's presented as someone who was worshiping God. Think about that. He's presented as someone who, as a true believer, but he's masquerading as a child of the devil. You might go, how is this? Let's look at Cain's life. He had good parents. Check. He was of the same mother and father as Abel. Both gave sacrifices. Both went down in front to God. And both presented their offerings. The scary thing here today that I want you to think about is that many, today, many people today are coming to church. Check. They're presenting their sacrifices as they see fit. Check. They're of good parents, good standing in the community. Check. They're attending church and gatherings just like Cain did. They bring their offerings. They come from Christian parents. And the scary thing is, they think they're right with God. You see, when we look at the difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering, we see from Hebrews 11.4 the difference. When they presented their offering, we see Abel's offering was given in faith. Cain's was a fake. That's why Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. We have to preach the word of God. We have to follow God's word. We don't get to have the opportunity to come and present our offerings like we see fit. This isn't an exchange, exchange where you get to do whatever you want to. We have to follow God's word. You don't get to offer it like you want to. You have to follow God. And the reason why is because we see that he told Cain that if you were to follow him and present your offerings correctly, then you'll be in good standing. And I'm summarizing it. But if you don't, you need to know Satan is knocking at the door and you to do his desire. And that's the fact. Satan is always interested in turning people away from the revealed word and will of God. The second thing we see not only is that we should not love in a murderous way, that, but the second thing is if you follow the way of Cain, you're going to hate Christ going to hate Christ. You see, Cain's attitude represents the attitude of the world system. It hates. You see, this world hates Christ for the same reason Cain hated Abel. 
Just like Christ shows up and reveals the world's sin and true nature. In the same way, Abel presented a more righteous sacrifice than Cain, which exposed Cain's evil. That's why John goes on in verse 13 through 15. He tells us, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. He follows that up. Don't be surprised that the world hates you because you reveal its sin. As we live in righteousness and we give glory to God, at the same time, we're revealing the world's sin, that it should repent and turn to Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers And whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You see, Jesus raised the bar. We understand, you know, level one and level two, like sin is, or murder is worse than hate. But to God, Jesus raised the bar. If we even think about hating our brother, he considers it at the same sin. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So if we continue down this path of hate and murder, you're not going to have a relationship with God. See, John goes on in in, uh, John 15, verse 18 and 19, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You see, the only way, even if you are following this world system and you are living a life of hate, and maybe you have even committed murder, there's hope for you. You see, because the mark of a true child is going to manifest love because he knows he has passed out of death to life. Look at verse 14 again. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. You see, we see this spiritual truth, which is so profound that if you have transitioned from death to life, it's a defining mark that you may know that you have eternal life and salvation from God. See, this word in the Greek words oida, and it's in the perfect tense. Now, I just want to explain that for two seconds. It means that something happened in the past that affects you presently. So what is that distinguishing mark that we can know? Because this word is different from the other ones that he uses here. You see, he uses the other word gnosis. So, He uses this word oida here in verse 14, which oida is something that is cognitive. You can actually know it in your brain. You know it's happened. It's something that's true. Whereas gnosis is you know something by experience. You see the difference? What he's saying here is these people who are saying that you can be spiritually enlightened, that you can have a spiritual knowledge, it's false but you can know that you pass out of death into life because your love of Christ 
is going to show in your love for others. Do you see that? And we get to actively and objectively know that we have been transferred from death to life, from the way of Cain to the way of Abel, by how we love. Do you love others? Do you have a love for others? You see, you might ask, well, what does that look like? In part three here, a true child of God is going to manifest this love sacrificially. Verse 16, by this we know love. Here it is. You can experience love because he laid down his life for us. Who's that he? Jesus Christ laid down his life at the cross where he died for our sins. We've been, and he took our sin upon the cross and died. So that way, through the resurrection, we have the stamp, seal, and approval that Jesus Christ's sacrifice was good enough. He laid down his life. So we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see, many people want to say, well, I want to experience Jesus today. I want to experience him. This is what John says. If you want to experience Jesus, then look to Christ, see how he loved and laid down his life, and go out there and experience Jesus as you lay down your life and love others sacrificially. You can experience Jesus Christ by showing love as you look to Jesus to show Jesus to others. You see, this love, though, as he talks about lay down our life, it's an infinitive, just means there's no time aspect. It's a verbal noun. It's, there's no time here. You see, we don't get to look at how we love one another like a Boy Scout puts a badge on his, like, slash or whatever that's called. I'm sorry if you're a Boy Scout. I don't know. Shash. I, I knew it was that. I was close. Thank you. It's not a batch. It's something that is to be ongoing. In verse 17, But if anyone has the world's goods and see his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Amen. I want us, I'm going to summarize Luke 10, 25 through 37. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You see, a lawyer stood up and questioned Jesus. Teacher, how shall I know I, I'll, I will inherit eternal life? He says, what is written in the law, how do you read it? He said, you shall love the Lord your God and with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your minds and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live, meaning you'll have eternal life. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, and he gave him this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite. And when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a good neighbor to the man that fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. You see, in conclusion, talk is cheap. You ever heard that saying, talk is cheap? That's what John is saying here. It's really easy to say, oh yeah, I love you. Love you, brother. It's really easy to say, hey, brother, how you doing? I'm okay. Hey, good. I love you, brother. I know we think it's funny, but it's the, it's the same thing, right? We find, it's funny because it's like, you know we've done this. See, it's real easy to be like the priest or the Levi. You see, the priest and the Levi, they hated the Samaritans because they kind of thought that they were half-breeds, Jews. So as they walked by and they see the Samaritan beaten down, stripped down, robbed on the road, it's like, literally, I'm here, there's the road, and there at that pew is the, the Samaritan who's like literally just passed out, stripped naked, beat down and robbed. Love you, brother. Hope you're okay. See, that's what closing your heart looks like. Talk is cheap. You see, when you see someone whose harm has befallen them and you say you love them, but you know their situation, you might be even able to help them. You just go, love you, brother. Are we showing God's love? You know, there might be times where you might not be able to do much before them, but be an ear for them and a prayer for them when they are weak and they can't pray to God. You might be able to lift up that case to God for them. Do you just go, oh yeah, oh, sorry about that. Or do you dig a little bit deeper, knowing where they're struggling, so that way you can at least pray for them and bring that prayer up to God fervently. See, James says we need to be doers of the word. If you close your heart off to loving others, then you are deceiving yourself. We need to be doers. We need to have to we need to walk in righteousness. We need to show the marks of love. And we have to do them sacrificially and not just once like a badge, but we got to keep doing them sacrificially. And by doing that, you might think, well, how, that's going to be so much work. 
But you, as you work this, you are going to experience Jesus Christ and his love for you as you get to share that for others. Love is not a badge you get to put on your jacket to say you've accomplished something. It's an active, ongoing act of sacrificial love that is demonstrated by the believer because he has been changed by God and he has been changed for God. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for today. I thank you for this message, God, as it has moved in my life that I might repent of the sin and the lack of love that I'm showing for others. God, I pray that you be with this church, Grace Bible Church. I pray that you continually keep growing us in faith, discipline us in your grace, that we might have greater grace, O Lord, so that we might show greater love as we look to love others. God, help us not to love in ways of selfishness or pride like Cain, but help us to love like Abel, God, and to, that we might offer you our, our lives, God, as we look to give you all glory as we walk in righteousness. Help us to battle and make war with our sin, God, knowing that it is forever against you, God. And I pray that we look to Jesus Christ who cleanses us of all this sin. God, be with people here today. If they don't know you, maybe they think they know you, but God, as they reflected, they realize that they are faking it. God, I pray that you give them faith that drives them out of death and into life, knowing that it's not anything that we have done, but it's simply in the work of Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.